0: If you'd open your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in the New Testament book of John as we're continuing in a sermon series called, It's All About Jesus. And we're following the life of our Lord and Savior from the manger throughout His ministry. And this morning we're going to start a five-part mini-series, still chronologically, but it's called, The Revelation of Christ. So far in our scholarship, we have been there when Jesus was born. We were there when Christ turned 12 years old and he stayed behind at the temple. We were there when he was baptized by John the Baptist. And we were led into the wilderness when Jesus was tempted. And last week, we were there when Jesus met his first disciples. This morning, we're starting this series of messages that will witness five miraculous moments where Jesus reveals his Messiahship to mankind. Some of these moments are going to be revealed by the words of Jesus, and some of these are going to be revealed by the actions of Jesus. And although the sermon series is going to take us an entire year to get through our series called It's All About Jesus, and it will require us to move through different books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we're going to be all over the Gospels this entire year. But for the next six weeks, we're going to be in the book of John, because that's where the story is taking us. We're going to be in John for a little bit. It's important to remember that through this series that John is writing to a very specific audience John is writing to Greeks, he's writing to Gentiles, he's writing to people who are not Jews. The vast majority of them would not have lived in the area around Jerusalem at the time that Jesus lived or the time that John wrote his gospel. Many of them wouldn't have understood all of the rituals of Jewish life. John makes it a point to follow the action of Jesus and teach his original audience and in thus teaching us what Jesus did, what Jesus said. John's an eyewitness to so many events that went on in the ministry of Jesus, and he writes them in this book, being an eyewitness, being a participant, being a disciple, after that being an apostle, and being a teacher. He does this literally so that others can learn about Jesus. We learned last week that being a disciple means that you, would, that you would walk behind a teacher, that you would learn from their work, their words, you would mimic what they teach and, and the actions that they show towards others. And that's what John has done is he's providing us this book for this reason. In a latter part of the book of John, he tells us exactly why he wrote the book. Read with me in John, we're in chapter 20, verse 31, it's up on the screen. John says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John says, I wrote my entire book for one reason, and that is so you will believe. That's what he wants you to do. That's that's the action that John is writing this for. John has this deep urge to make sure that his audience knows who Jesus is and why Jesus came and how we should react to Jesus. And and at the beginning of this urge, there's this deep need to tell others and John's going going to tell people about what he saw. He's going to tell people about what Jesus did. Wouldn't it be fair to say if you and I were there and we saw Jesus, that we would want to run and tell other people? That we would want to go and tell somebody? John goes into these events that that we don't read anywhere else in the Bible. 90% of the book of John is unique to his gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's some stories in there that, that, that repeat each other. But John has so much content. And John has one focus in his book. To John, it's all about Jesus. For all the details recorded in the book of John, there's so many that weren't recorded. And John tells us that in John 21, 25. He says, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Maybe John ran out of papyrus. Maybe he got a hand cramp while he was writing things down but John wrote what he wrote because God told him this is what I want you to write and it's God breathe but John witnessed so much more than what he recorded for us but John started with one amazing miracle to show us that Jesus is the Messiah Turn with me, if you will. We're in John chapter 2 this morning. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 11 in a message that I have titled, The Reason for Miracles. As we look at these stories in the book of John, it's going to be important to be here week after week after week. Because in a chronological study of Jesus, and especially going through this book, we're basically binge-watching Jesus is what we're doing. How many of you have ever sat down in front of Netflix, you're like, hey, you know what? I'm going to watch the first season of 24, and then you turn that thing on, and you don't leave the couch until Thursday, (laughs) right? So that's what we're doing here. We are binge-watching what John is writing for us, and so this gives us an opportunity for being here week after week after week to see how these stories add up, how the layers Just stack on top of each other how it all makes sense why it makes sense. We've seen that in our sermons already That today we're going to talk about disciples that we met last week. It all starts to make sense I want you to come with me into John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse number 1 this morning The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration I'm gonna stop right there let's lay some context before we move further there's three points that we want to look at in these two verses first the new living translation which is which I'm preaching out of it uses the words it says the next day some translations will use the word on the third day or the the phrase on the third day and it's just that one is referring to the events that happened yesterday Another translation might be referring to events that happened three days ago but but it's it's the same it's the same thing it's just mentioning a different particular day and it's telling us we're referring back to when Jesus met the disciples of John the Baptist for the first time we looked at that last week okay so here's here's one of the points is that These three words show us that the revelation of Jesus as the Messiah began almost immediately after Jesus returns from the temptation in the desert. He was out in the desert for 40 days. He comes out, almost immediately finds John the Baptist. John the Baptist gives up his disciples that start following Jesus, and then boom, right away, Jesus is going to start his ministry. Jesus didn't hesitate to get his work started. He went out to make himself known. Next, we read that Jesus had a conversation with with Nathaniel. We read this last week. Nathaniel became one of his disciples, and when Nathaniel met Jesus, Jesus told him that Jesus had seen Nathaniel underneath a fig tree, and Nathaniel knew that, well. He was underneath the fig tree that Jesus wasn't around. And so how could he see him there? And Jesus was showing these characteristics of his Messiahship to Nathanael one-on-one. This was last week. And then Nathanael tells Jesus, wow, you are the Son of God. And then Jesus said in, in John 1, verse number 50, Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. He's like if if you think that's amazing I'm gonna show you much more amazing things than that. Jesus was about though He was about to show these greater things to Nathaniel and his new followers within days of meeting them He's pulling his team together He's not taking time to get to know his team get to know the strengths and weaknesses of the guys He didn't do any disc analysis. No Myers-Briggs nothing like this all he does. He's like, okay, let's go it's time to go, and he's going to start right away. Second about this, uh, the, these two verses, I want you to look at the wedding. It's in the village of Cana in Galilee. It's a small community, Cana is. It's outside of Nazareth, some would say up to about nine miles outside. And the highest population that we have of Nazareth is about 500 people. Cana is smaller than that. Now, 500 people is about the amount of people that live in your typical apartment complex. There's an apartment complex across the street over here. That's about how many people would have lived in Nazareth. And Cana, outside, smaller, makes Nazareth the largest city nearby. And so people from Cana and Nazareth, they would know each other. Because they would help each other there would be communities that would work together if 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 somebody from Canaan needed something that they couldn't find they would walk nine miles to the Nazareth Walmart just to grab something and then and then head head back and 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 so there's no wonder why Mary would have been invited to the wedding and why Jesus would have been invited to the wedding makes sense because they know people there right small communities don't you know everyone in a small community it's kind of what's going on. Finally, it would have been, this wedding would have been an event that would have been planned for quite some time. See, many marriages at this time, they're arranged marriages, right? And so with an arranged marriage, you've got your guest list that's set out a long time in advance. And, and Jewish weddings, they're not like, let's go down to the courthouse and we're gonna sit here for 20 minutes, fill out some paperwork and we're good. <laughs> Not quite the way it happens in a traditional Jewish wedding at that point. These are week-long events that are going on. If the bride is a virgin, you're going to have an event that's going to start after the feast on a Wednesday. If she's a widow, it's going to start after a feast on a Thursday. But it's going to be a long, drawn-out event. And the bride and groom are going to be treated like royalty. They might be paraded around the town or the community so that the people could come out of their homes and congratulate the new couple they'd be treated really well the groom's parents would be responsible for the financial part of this ceremony and it was a really big deal like it was such a big deal that the wedding go off well that if it didn't go off well the bride's family could sue the groom's family what do you think about that you see that on any of those uh, Bridezilla TLC shows, like lawsuits coming out of modern-day weddings. Um, if all you have is a herd of goats in your backyard, you probably don't want to get sued for your herd of goats, right? It's like you just so you want to make sure that the wedding goes off well, and you don't want to be sued. And so there's a vast amount of pressure on wedding planners, right? And in this wedding in particular, a lawsuit and total embarrassment very well may be coming to a head. There's an unplanned issue that's about to arise, creating havoc during the ceremony. And this is where we see Mary, the mother of Jesus, stand up and, and jump into action. We actually believe that that she could have been part of the wedding planning party because she does jump into action here maybe she's one of the planners but she has to solve a problem the problem the wedding is out of booze there's no okay so they're out of wine now it's not as if they are using wine to promote drunkenness rather it's it's prestige it's it's honorable. You have to have plenty of wine. You have to have a lot of wine to get through the entire week, right? It's a big deal to have wine. Let's pick up the action. We're in verse number three. John 2, verse number 3. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time is not yet come. But his mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you we can see in this passage that there's a difference in the thought process between mary and her son see mary knows who jesus is and mary knows who jesus isn't mary knows that jesus grew up with his dad he's a carpenter he builds things jesus is about 30 years old at this point in his life And chances are, Mary knows very well that Jesus is not a winemaker. He probably has nothing to do with wine. He's, he's um, He's not a bartender. That's not what he does. But somehow, Mary knew that Jesus could do something. The mind of Jesus was in a totally different place. He wasn't concerned about the wine. He was concerned about himself being revealed as the Messiah at the wrong time. See, Jesus knew what Mary was asking. She was asking him to do something that only he could do. And his first response was, "Um, yeah, the time's not right. This This isn't the right time. But that's his mom, and his mom's not having any of it. Look what she does. She doesn't even respond to the response that Jesus gave her. So he's like, woman, that's not our problem and the timing's not right. This is what she does. Cool. Servants, hey, do whatever he says. Drops the mic and walks away. That's what she does. It's like, she tells the servants, do whatever he says, and she walks out. You know what Mary has done? In a way, Mary has put a prayer request up to Jesus. That's what she's doing. She's putting a prayer request up to the Lord. And she actually didn't know what He would do. What Jesus was about to do reflects His determination not to be guided by human pleasures where when when we're in need as humans, like we tell God what to do. No, He wanted to relate to the needs in the way that the Father would allow the will of the Father, and finally to deal with these issues in a far deeper way than anyone that day could even imagine. Wouldn't it be fair to say that our Lord likes to answer our prayers in ways that we can't even envision? Jesus is not insensitive about our problems. He's not. But watch this, point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you just joining us it's on the left-hand side of your bulletin, you'll find the fill in the blanks right there. Point number one in your notes this morning, Jesus will answer our prayers on His time and at the will of the Father. Jesus will answer our prayers on His time and at the will of the Father. When we pray, sometimes we get so caught up in our wants and desires that we forget to even ask if our prayer is something that Jesus actually wants for us sometimes we even tell the Lord exactly how to solve our problems we we have the whole problem solved and all we need is for God to do his minor parts so we can get the major results that we have planned Mary basically was praying to her son for assistance and then gave him the freedom to answer the prayer. She walked away. First, it didn't seem that Jesus was going to do anything. It seemed like his answer was no. He didn't say no. He said his time hadn't come yet. That moment that she asked wasn't right. Five minutes later, could have been right, right? It was on God's time. See, Jesus cares about us so much. At no point in the Bible does He promise us happiness. At no point in the Bible, but He does promise us joy in His presence. Amen? Amen. It took Jesus a moment to realize that this moment in time could be a very amazing moment for Him to reveal His Messiahship to His disciples, and to others who were there. That's a different reason than simply filling out a prayer request, answering a prayer request because there's not enough booze at the wedding. A.W. Tozer once said that God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things that we could do by ourselves. Look how Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 6. I want you to watch this. Such an important part of this prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9-10. through 10. In this manner, he says, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, howled be thy name. Your kingdom come. Watch this. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the Lord isn't going to ignore our prayers. He didn't ignore the request from his mother. Rather, God is answering our prayers in one of three ways. He's going to say yes, He's going to say no, or He might say not now. He's going to say one of those. And He might say not now and bring your request back later, and I might say not now again. How limiting are we being if we're asking Jesus to answer our prayers our way? If we We only know, everyone in this room, collectively, we only know earthly and human solutions. Our minds can only fathom a small amount of the glory of God. Why do we limit the options that we give God in our prayers? It would have been as if Mary would have asked Jesus, like, if she would have said, okay, I've got a problem and I've got the solution. Jesus, what I need you to do I need you to walk back nine miles to Nazareth, and I want you to go and grab my ATM cart, drop into the uh, Nazareth Trader Joe's. I want you to pick up all the bottles of two-buck chuck you can find, and you and your boys bring it back to us. Boom, solved, right? Like, why why would she tell Jesus how to solve a problem that only he can really solve? Could, Could they have done that? I mean... Probably could have found somebody to make some wine. Mary had a prayer request, and she didn't have the answer, but she relied on Jesus for the answer. Shouldn't we be relying on Jesus for our answers to our prayers? And then she prepared, watch this, this is amazing, she prepared for whatever Jesus would do. She didn't know what he was going to do, She prepared for it, though. She turned around. She told the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. She says, I've given my request, and I'm prepared, and now I let Jesus work. How often do we pray and we keep dibs on what Jesus may or may not do as if we're forcing his hand? How many of us have seen God answer prayer and and then we look back and we said, wow, that is so much more than I could have ever imagined? Happens, right? That is what Jesus is so good at, is doing what we can't imagine. That's what he does. Let's pick up the action. We're in verse number 6. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. So watch this. To the servants, this command would not have made any sense at all. As a matter of fact, they would, have, they would have had so many questions. They would have been so confused because of what Jesus was asking them to do. It made no sense. Point number two in your notes this morning. Jesus might ask us to do something that we don't understand while he is answering our prayers. If we're going to ask Jesus to answer a prayer in only the way that he could answer prayers, he might ask us to do something that we don't know that we're doing to answer the prayer, right? That we don't really know why he is leading us this direction, but certainly part of his plan, right? The servants being at a Jewish wedding, they they would have known what those pots were used for. These pots held water that would have been Common at a Jewish occasion for, for washing. There are two kinds of washings that would have been done. There would have been, this is all before the meal, you would have had one, you would have had foot washing because uh, no one's walking on paved roads, right? So your feet are dirty. You're not going to come into the house with those dirty feet. Wash your feet. Go wash your feet. Get outside, wash your feet, right? And then you've got the ceremonial hand washing that the Jews would take part in before and during a meal. As a matter of fact, the, like, this washing of the hands, it's a two-person job. So your, your hand, you would have to hold out your hand and somebody would pour water down from your fingers down your, your wrist. And then you would turn your wrist over and they would pour water here down to your wrist as well. And you would have to do this before you ate. And between courses, you would do the same thing. So when the salad plate came and they're starting off this elegant feast, before you even asked somebody what fork you should be using, you had to go and have this... Your hand's washed, okay? And then your salad's done and now there's soup and you got to get up and it's okay, you gotta go and wash, wash, wash your hands again. That's what the, the water from the pots are for. And then there's the main course and you're back to the water jars. And, and, and then you have dessert and more washing and then you decided to go outside now You've got to wash your feet again before you come back in and you're gonna grab a dinner roll And that's more washing and and that mint at the checkout. hmm Yep. More washing That's what the pots are for So the servants knew what the pots were for and they knew what they were not for those pots are not for wine They're for water. They're for washing they knew and so when Jesus told the servants to fill the jars with water, they would have been thinking about washing hands and washing feet, but they're not thinking what, that Jesus is going to solve this problem with these water jugs. See, there are times, there are times when the Lord is going to ask us to do something and we have no clue why. He's going to ask us to get up and walk and we have no clue where we're going. We're faced with his direction every day and if we understand everything that he is telling us and why he's telling us, then wouldn't that put us on the same playing field as God? Wouldn't that leave no one to be smarter than us? Would that leave no one to be more powerful than us? Leave no one to be more wise than us? if we're saying we know everything god answer my prayer this way we've limited god's power i don't know about you but i am thankful that i can call on the creator of heaven and earth whose understanding and wisdom far exceeds my own i don't want to be calling on somebody for answers that has a limited capacity to understand like i do i'm not the one that i want to be calling on for answers See, when the Lord answers prayers, He isn't limited. He isn't limited by human confinements. He's not limited by worldly rules. He's not limited by time and space. He's not limited by solving problems the old-fashioned way. And we need to recognize that God is working, even if He isn't working our way. When the servants took some water out and they... Walked to the master of ceremonies and asking him to take a drink. These men, they could have been shaking in their boots. They knew what was in those pots. They knew exactly because they had just filled them up with water. But Jesus knew how to answer prayers in an amazing, unique way. Read back with me. We're in John chapter 2, verse number 9. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, because they put the water in the pots, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. See, Jesus had just performed his first recorded miracle, and it was not what anyone expected. Point number three in your notes this morning. When the Lord delivers a miracle, we should anticipate the astonishing. When he's delivering a miracle, we should anticipate the astonishing. That's what miracles are. They're unexpected. They're unexplained. They're from Jesus. It might be expected that the Lord is going to teach us something at church. We pray for that. That is an answer to prayer. We should expect that that when we're starting to read our Bible more, that we're going to come closer to God. We should expect that. That's an answer to prayer. It would be expected that Mary was expecting Jesus to fix the problem, but even his method was amazing to his mother. She had no clue. She didn't know how he was going to do it. She just knew he could do it. She didn't limit him. Do you know who would have been the most amazed by this spectacle this day? The servants and the disciples. They'd never seen anything like this before. Never. Someone once said if they were happening every day, they wouldn't be called miracles, they would be called regulars. I think it's a great statement that miracles aren't regulars. Miracles are amazement, amen? A parking spot at the mall during the Christmas season, that's, that's not really a miracle. The fact that your tooth stops hurting and not so much a miracle, answer to prayer. Our Lord won't answer a prayer with an answer that is outside God's will. If he's answering prayer, he's answering prayer inside God's will. Paul addresses why Jesus needed to perform miracles. You say, well, how come? Paul states this, we're in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. Paul says this, For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Watch this, Jews demanded signs and Greeks looked for wisdom. Paul says that the Jews wanted signs. It was only through signs that they would believe. Greeks wanted human wisdom. Jesus knew that it was going to take some signs to convince people, to convince the masses of who he was. And this is the first of those signs, this miracle. See, the first miracle from Jesus wasn't a miracle in front of thousands of people. It's a miracle in front of a few people. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't even get the credit for it. You know who got the credit for it? the groom got the credit for it he's the one that walks away looking like an awesome new son in law right <laughs> you just saved the best wine yeah i'm going to like this kid jesus didn't do it for the wedding it had nothing to do with that no It wasn't for the groom. It wasn't for the wine. It had nothing to do with keeping a lawsuit at bay. It had nothing to do with Cana or Nazareth. It was for one reason. The miracle was all about Jesus. It was there to reveal Himself as our Messiah. Come back with me finally to John chapter 2. We're in verse number 11. John writes this, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus, watch this, revealed His glory and His disciples believed in Him. Point number four in your notes this morning, your final point. The miracles of Jesus are not to amaze us, but rather are to reveal Christ to us. They're not here for us to look at and for us to just simply be amazed at and to go back and say, wow, that was an amazing show. That was awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take, take my family next time. Next time Jesus is in town, I promise, I'm going to buy tickets and go. Jesus knew that his miracle was to reveal his Messiahship. It was what Jesus uses miracles for. They reveal who he is. They show us Emmanuel. They show us God with us. They're not for people to clap and tell others about how great the show is that Jesus is putting on, but rather they're to show people that Jesus is the Christ. There are around 40 miracles that were recorded in the Gospels. But that's not a complete list of all of the miracles that Jesus performed. John tells us so in John chapter 21, verse 25. John writes this, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. There's a lot more that Jesus did that wasn't written down. So what's the application for the first miracle of Jesus to our modern day audience? What does this mean to us? The application is that Jesus performed miracles to show his divinity and messiahship to the people around him and for the stories to be relayed down through the centuries to you and me. Just as the Jews accepted these as proof of his messiahship, a few of them did, not all of them did, the disciples did. Jesus is expecting us to. We must the Jews struggled with that. They wanted signs. But there were people in those days that would see these signs and say, You are the Messiah. There's so many people in our modern day world who will say, Lord, I will believe in you if. If you just show me a sign. If you just do something amazing. If you just heal my grandmother, if you just cure my financial crisis, if you just solve my problems the way that I need them solved, then I will believe in you. And what Jesus says is, He says, I already did. He says, I already did show you a sign. He says, I already did something amazing. I, I already gave you instructions on finance. I, I already solved these problems. I but I did it by God's will and not necessarily yours. And I left all the answers in a book written by men whose hands I guided so that you could be there and see when I proved my Messiahship to the people who were around when He walked. And He says, I want to prove that Messiahship to you too. And He would say, I did nearly 40 miracles that were recorded, many more that weren't. And I think that Jesus would tell us that the miracles aren't the reason, but they are the tools to show us a bigger miracle. They are the tools to line us up to start believing in Him because water into wine is small compared to the man on the cross. He would say, the greatest miracle that I want you to see is the one where I, Christ, have the authority and the power to die and to be put into a grave, but to rise again and to overcome death and to be a sacrifice for the sins of the world. See, He became, he became to us, without, without a sacrifice of unimaginable proportions, He would never see us again. You know how much Jesus loves us? He loves us so much to when He's looking down through eternity and He knows without a sacrifice that He will never see us again. Because on our own, we have an eternity separated from Jesus. We have an eternity in hell away from our Creator. He died for us because He loves us so much. That's his miracle. That's his biggest miracle. Does our Lord still perform miracles today? I would say so. Is it ever for us to be amazed at? No. Is it always for him? Yes. If ever a miracle were to happen in our life, I can tell you this it's not about you, it's not about us. It is all about Jesus.